Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters. Ten volumes available in paperback, ebook, Kindle, and at Audible in audio format for you audiophiles. And now, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, K.J. Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great. Merry Christmas again. Yes, Merry Christmas. I hope everybody got a little something that they like. And Maybe a little visit from a Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Bigfoot. <laughs> you know, Kev, everybody and their brother that runs across any kind of picture of Bigfoot online or wherever brings it to me, you know. But we love that. <laughs> we do love that. But somebody showed me one yesterday at work, you know, hey, Bill, check this out. It was obviously a guy in a pair of freaking coveralls covered in fur, you know. <laughs> it looked like he had a pair of dive gloves on hanging out at the end of the <laughs> sleeves, you know. I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, that's Bigfoot. <laughs> what was the guy doing sitting on the log as he was approaching him and walking by like nothing was going to happen <laughs> uh, yeah like, we need those field correspondents <laughs> yeah like that stupid jack links commercial where the bigfoot's throwing the guy around <laughs> <laughs> you need them you need them yeah. you get the good and the bad mostly the good <laughs> Speaking funny. Of yeah, it was great. Uh, great holiday though, and uh, good break. You know, things are slow for me at work during this week. Um, coming up on New Year's, so that's always nice to have a little bit of a slowdown after um, the last couple of months being so crazy with travel and all. Yeah, yeah. You know, you say the good and the bad. We need the good and the bad. How about the good and the bad of the ugly? What did you think of that Clint Eastwood Santa Claus thing? I oh, said that was you. fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, punk. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's Clint Eastwood's face transposed onto Santa Claus, and uh, the uh, the uh, wording said, Merry Christmas, punk. <laughs> so I thought that was great, though. Classic. Classic Christmas. And I think that was his happy face, actually. It was. He, he seemed satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, was, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we have in our cryptids in the news and other oddities segment today, bro? Yeah, today we're going to the news. Okay. And um, we're going to be talking about UAPs a little bit. Not an actual sighting, 
but an interesting uh, perspective in an article that was written just about a week ago in, uh, in an online publication called Florida Today. Okay. And what's interesting, this gentleman, Mike Ricksecker, uh, is a former Air Force pilot, and he wrote the article. So kind of like, you know, a, uh, an opinion piece. And I, I, like, I like these guys because, you know, perspective is everything, especially if it's coming from somebody perhaps in the know. You know, an airline pilot, a pilot is somebody who's doing something that very few people do on the planet on a regular basis. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So, and it, it, you know, it's also interesting because I think, I don't know, you know, I'm I'm always on this podcast for the most part talking about the fact that I come from a perspective of Occam's razor where, you know, the most obvious uh, answer, to the, the answer to the question is probably the most obvious answer to the question, not the most obscure. But we, as humans, for the most part, we like to go to the obscure or fantastic answer to the question, mm-hmm. you know, rather than the obvious one, right? I guess it's more interesting, and our brains are so powerful, our intellect is so powerful, we can generate like more complex ideas than the basic probable cause. Mm -hmm. So before we get to the article, I've been talking about, more recently when we talk about UAPs, this theory that especially, you know, when the Navy was seeing these uh, objects uh, off of San Diego or off of Norfolk, Virginia and other places around the world. I've been starting to talk about the fact that not just me, it's not my original thought by any means, that, you know, maybe this is actually the United States Air Force, you know, testing out some new technology, right? And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they're not going to tell the Navy about it. You know, one, they compete with one another for funds, right? Whether we, whether we like to think that or not, I'm sure that's true. Um, so they're not going to share everything. And then if they could fool our United States Navy with some new technology, then they would firmly believe that they could, in fact, fool the Russians or the Chinese or whoever the enemy might be at that point in time, right? Yeah, and it's true. It's a truism because who would suspect, you know, in the world of uh, spy versus spy or secret versus secret, who would suspect the, your own to be the culprit? Right, right. It's the perfect and, scenario for a test, you know. Right, and you could see that that would be probably the most obvious answer to the question, mm-hmm. right? When yes. the Navy seeing this stuff, like, is it from another planet, from another solar system? Certainly could be, and I'm not necessarily doubting that. Mm-hmm. Um, is it the Russians? Mm, probably not, you know. It's doubtful that they have that technology, and we don't have that technology. So it's kind of, well, it could be the Air Force, though, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, which is interesting. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Another idea here, which Mike Ricksecker writes about in Florida Today this month, is the idea that these are actually time travelers, which, you know, that may sound to some of you more fantastic than anything else, but, you know, there's physics and, uh, you know, data and research around the fact that it should be possible to do time travel, right? And certainly at some point in time, it will be possible. Yeah, I don't, man, you know, it's it's something tough to wrap your mind around. I 
I'll be honest with you. I'm not buying into it. I've heard a lot of discussion about time travel. Some say it's easier to go uh, forward than back. Uh, And they talk about, uh, you know, us traveling through time zones and planes and things like that. But that's that's like minuscule in the grand scheme of things. We're talking about people going to different epochs and eras or coming from them uh, to us. And frankly, I don't know uh, in my mind if such a thing is possible. What about you? Well, I I think so. But you know me, Bill, my background, I have a lot of background in physics, right? And physics tells us that there are more dimensions um, defined in the world than the ones that we live in, right? Like we live in uh, objects, planes, and lines, you know, the three dimensions of Mm -hmm. the world. And, And there could be a fourth dimension that we're freely able to interact with. And then there's more dimensions beyond that. Yeah. Right? So, and and physics says that there could be as many as 11 dimensions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, physics, I, see, yeah, I, I, I buy into the, uh, now, we use the word dimension because we don't know what to really call it or what it is we're dealing with. They're calling it a dimension right. as though there's these layers or segments or holding places that things can come in and out of with boundaries. Uh, but you know, Kev, I have Paula now, and folks, by the way, uh, I haven't talked about it in a long time. I have my wife who passed away regularly coming into my house and doing things around the house. And uh, I, I know, she, to me, you talk about dimension, she's coming in and out of a heavenly realm uh, interacting with me. Now, right, if you want to call things around and stuff like that, yeah, and I mean, if you want to call that a dimension, uh, well, maybe, but uh, I call it, you know, heaven, a heavenly yeah. realm, you know. Yeah, yeah I would call it heaven as well. I would call it something different than pure physics, but you know, that could be debated forever, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but but what's interesting, and this gentleman writes about is. You know, when one is, you know, how these objects, when uh, these Navy pilots see them, right, like they're there, they're on the radar, uh, whatever technology they're using to see them, and then all of a sudden they're gone. Yeah. And then they show up in another place, right? So that's kind of a characteristic in theory of time travel, right? You know, you you show up and then you just disappear as you leave that dimension and head into another dimension. So, you know, that the evidence is there to support that kind of a thing. Now, it could be some cloaking technology or something like that, but it doesn't really explain how it shows up someplace else instantly, you know, like the San Diego uh, incident back in 2004 with the U.S. Navy. Now, let me ask you something. You know, they were saying, like, the stealth fighter that we saw uh, in the Iraqi conflict for the first time. Yeah. They said that thing has, like, the uh, radar profile of, like, a bumblebee. Yeah, or a pigeon. Yeah, something really small, unsuspecting. Yeah. So anything that comes through on radar has to have a hard contact of uh, of some kind, correct? Well, it has to reflect... The, the radar waves. Right. So and a, think a of it, cloud, it doesn't have to be hard or soft, but it has to reflect. Right. But a, a cloud cannot do that. 
Well, clouds can actually think of like um, you know some of the uh, the storm trackers, storm trackers, right? Like maybe not just puffiness of cloud, but cloud with moisture in it, cloud with you know changing wind direction and moisture in it, right? That's how they can see where the tornadoes might be forming right, now, that right. wind shear. So but it has, it has, to, to, have, it has to have some type of substance to it that can bounce back or reflect the radar. Exactly. But it wouldn't just disappear. You know, like unless you could turn on something the the non-reflective surface, which is pretty realistic. Yeah. Or in other words, you know, you actually have something on that does reflect it. So don't think of changing the whole surface of an aircraft, but you have some type of receiver or transmitter that receives the radar and bounces it right back. Yes, yes. And then you just shut the electricity off to that device and you're gone. Right. But what I'm saying is it doesn't allow you to show up two seconds later 300 miles away. Yeah, there's no accounting for the distance traveled. We don't know how to do that. Yeah, exactly. So now you see me, now you don't, now you see me. Exactly. It's like the old uh, asteroids game. You know, when you got in trouble on it, you push that button hyperspace and it took you to a different place. Yeah. Right. You know, you didn't know where it was going to take you, but you were gone from that point where the asteroids were going to all crash into you from all sides. Yeah. You know, uh, my first UFO sighting here on Long Island, uh, I was down by the Great South Bay on a pitch black night in Remsenburg, South Shore overlooking the bay and, of course, Fire Island, Kev, and which on the other side is the Atlantic. And I was watching this, uh, what I believed at the time was a satellite. You know, you and I were well familiar with what they look like in the night sky. Yeah. And suddenly this thing stopped. And now it had my attention. And then it started going back the other way, straight lines. Yeah. Then left and right, all of these hard angles and quickly. And then this thing took off northeast at a rate of speed that was just, all I could do is guess. It's just a guess, right? It was going so fast, 15, 20, 30,000 miles an hour. Who knows how fast this thing was? So it went from what was to the eye a relatively slow speed, which could have been in the thousands of miles an hour, to tens of thousands. Uh, and nothing, nothing we have does that. A, a human being, uh, 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 even rockets, uh, really. No, 100%. And in contrast to that, I didn't tell you about this yet, but just the other night here, uh, right after Christmas, I was out on my back deck. Sitting down, it was a nice warm night with all the stars out before it started raining here, and I started working on an arc. Um, <laughs> and I was looking up at the sky like I often am, and I could see Orion up there now in the winter sky, the constellation Orion. And all of a sudden, this really bright shooting star came across the sky relatively, you know, not like a flash, but certainly much faster than a satellite and super bright came right across from one horizon to the other. And I was like, wow, like that is the type of thing that people talk about in some of their accounts where, you know, they heard a boom 
when it went all the way over, like it, you know, when it hit the ground or, you know, a spaceship crashing or, you know, we've covered so many of these accounts. Mm -hmm. But very different than the account you're talking about, Bill, where it didn't change direction. It didn't slow down. It didn't speed up. It didn't veer left. It didn't veer right. Right. So it was probably just a meteor or shooting star. Right, right. Kind of thing. But yep. wow, it was spectacular. It was so bright. Mm -hmm. And that's a rare thing that you saw. That doesn't happen frequently. No, no. Like, I see the shooting stars a lot um, because of where I live. You know, I live in relatively dark places, and I look at the sky, right, instead of being walking around looking at my phone all the time. I try to look at the sky. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I see them a lot, but I don't see them like that a lot. You know, last time I saw one like that was probably 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely rare so, indeed. So I'm going to read you a little clip of this article because I think the way uh, this author puts it is pretty interesting. So he says that about this suggestion of the time travel, he says this suggestion may sound like some sort of plot device out of a science fiction novel or film. But the concept is not fantasy. Time is a human construct, a device and measuring tool to help us describe our existence without, within our current reality. It helps us to keep track of the season, determine when to plant crops, the correct moment to show up at work, or when the kids have to be at the bus stop, and so forth. It's a rather helpful mechanism that we have devised. All of this is carried out within a fourth dimension, of which, according to our theoretical physics, there could potentially be as many as 11. Each dimension has access to the ones below it. From our fourth dimension, we're freely able to interact with the three below it, objects, planes, and lines. However, the fifth dimension and above are elusive to us. And he says, if we were to suddenly find ourselves within that realm, the, the world would look completely foreign to us, much like a fish hoisted out of its watery universe and discovering there is far more beyond. And he says, those who have mastered time travel will have mastered the ability to ascend to these higher spatial dimensions and be able to access time as if it were an object or a series of objects, each moment perhaps like a photograph in a complete stack of photographs encompassing every moment of the existence of our universe. Pretty cool, right? I mean, it's kind of, it's science, right? It's not what could be. Science predicts that this is true. We just haven't figured out how to do it yet. And, and when I, and this time travel, hey, maybe it is us, in fact, doing it. Maybe back to my Air Force theory, um, or maybe it's a foreign government, or maybe it is someone from another world, right? But I think there, there is science to support this, and it is kind of a, again, going back to Occam's razor, a relatively obvious answer to the question. Now, people could debate that with me, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, what's obvious about time travel, Kev? You know, I just got my electric car, and that's an absolute breakthrough. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bizarre, bizarre thing. You know, and look, uh, theoretical physics and whatnot always starts with an idea, right? A theory, theoretical. Yep. And then they investigate to prove or disprove areas of that theory that may lead them into 
other theoretical endeavors, right? They're trying to get puzzle pieces uh, that may, uh, when connected, bring them somewhere else, or they may find out while they're working on their theory that they hit a dead end. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it, it, it is bizarre, you know, and man is always trying to uh, endeavor to go beyond what is known into the unknown, and as long as we're going to be al- as long as we're alive, this is going to continue to happen. I'm sure, you know. Very yeah, bizarre. absolutely. Very bizarre. Very bizarre indeed. <laughs> yeah, but I, I thought it was super interesting, and it's good to think about stuff, you know, from a different perspective once in a while, or from a different dimension. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, folks, by the way, if you're new to the podcast, uh, yeah, we're Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, uh, which uh, insinuates we're going to be talking about Bigfoot, and I am going to be talking about Bigfoot. But in the beginning of every podcast, we have a section called Cryptids in the News and Other Oddities, which uh, Kevin very adeptly handles. And uh, today we're getting into the subject matter that you were just listening to. So we, we talk about a lot of odd things, and some of them are uh, creepy, and some of them are uh, scientific, and uh, I hope that you find that all of them are of interest. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and sometimes I talk about the hairy man. That's right. That's right. If he's in the news, we got him. We got him. Well, good job, Kevin. I got something interesting here uh, pertaining to the hairy man, this following account was told to me by Carl Pearson, a former resident of the state of Colorado, now living in South Carolina. This is what Carl recalled from the days of his youth. I was born and raised in Colorado, having lived there until age 26 including a four-year stint in the military in service for the country, which has nothing to do at all with what we had heard and seen. I only mention it to give you a little backdrop of my early life in the state. My family regularly made day trips and campouts in Rocky Mountain National Park, which I now realize was due to limited monies within the family. The park was our go-to place for fun and relaxation outside of the home. There are several instances where and when I believe now that we had encountered a Bigfoot creature, one of which was an actual sighting and the other two being howling incidents at both close and long ranges. As far as the howling is concerned, the first occurred during a day hike I believe in 1981 or two. My father, sister, and I were circumnavigating a lake in the park, hiking about 20 or 30 feet within the woods, with the lake in view the entire time. I distinctly remember us taking a break while sitting on a downed tree, and the weather was pristine. The howling had begun quite a distance from where we sat, my father and I both being hunters, unable to identify it as any animal known to either of us, having hunted virtually every species in the state. Before anyone had spoken a word, the three of us had collectively looked at each other as if to say, what was that? Then it stopped. It had lasted a good 15 or 20 seconds, 
being one continuous loud and bellowing roar in the distance. There was no way of telling how far away whatever had made the roar was from our position. Whatever caused the sound had one set of mighty powerful lungs, enabling it to sustain a long and loud tone. My father turned to look at me when it had stopped and said, Bigfoot? That was the first time in my life that I had heard him mention the name, never never having so much as spoken about it with him in all the years I had been alive. There was quite a conversation, as I recall, after this mentioning of Bigfoot, with the three of us going back and forth about what we each had heard and believed about its existence. The odd thing is that we had never done so before. My father and I had seen nothing, but ultimately agreed that it wasn't a bear or a cougar, the only two species capable of emitting a roar. Nothing like either of them was capable of doing. It was nothing like either of them was capable of doing. So that was it for the moment, having heard this continuous howl with nothing else following during the remainder of the day. The second of our howling incidents cemented the creature's existence in our brains, uh, cementing the creature's existence in our brains, occurred in 1985 on my birthday. Once again, we had entered the park, planning on a little woodsy celebration, hiking around in the usual manner and enjoying the day. My sister had brought along a Tupperware container filled with frosted cupcakes she had baked, complete with birthday candles. We were in the eastern section of the park this day, about three or four miles from where we were situated when the first incident had occurred, and it had dawned on me that day that this was the very direction from which we had heard the howl years earlier. Interesting. Nobody else had mentioned it, but the thought had entered my mind at the start of the day with me saying nothing about it to anyone else. I remember it was late in the afternoon, having allowed ourselves enough time and distance to get back to our vehicle well before darkness would set in, that we were hiking along the same line that we had come in on, nothing appearing out of the ordinary as compared to just a couple of hours earlier in the day. Suddenly, a loud bark sounded off in the woods to our left. It sounded just like a big dog's bark, with the difference being it was about 20 times louder. Visualize, if you will, a cannon blast in the otherwise quiet woods as we nearly fell from the shock of what had just happened. But as I have said, it was not an explosion of any kind. Instead, a booming and singular bark came from what sounded like only yards away and we started to trot. My father said to keep moving and be careful not to fall or turn an ankle. I was already feeling my heart racing, and my sister was sobbing. One hell of a way to celebrate your birthday as we continued down the trail. About ten minutes into this rather frantic escape from what we didn't know is when the howl happened. The same roar we had heard years earlier was at relatively close range, only this time shaking me to my core. 
I'm telling you that it hit me like a shockwave on my back. I could feel it. At that point, we went into overdrive, with my sister now screaming, Oh my God, oh my God, repeatedly as we ran. I was the last in line providing a defensive posture for my sister, with my father leading the way looking back and over his shoulders, making sure nothing was in pursuit of us. The events of that day had sealed the deal with us as far as the existence of Bigfoot was concerned, there being absolutely nothing that could have created such a sound, and yet we had seen nothing. We all thought it must have been some warning to either keep away or get out, having treaded perhaps on some hallowed ground. Now, it was several years later, hunting solo on the outskirts of the park, that I was miles and miles away from the event surrounding my birthday, sitting about midway up the side of a narrow ravine, having stalked my way into this location for miles in pursuit of my mark. Having seen both scat and prince, I was confident that it was only a matter of time, so I stopped and waited in situ, on the side of this ravine. I had heard what sounded like an animal thrashing around in the bushes, out of my view from where I sat. So I cautiously repositioned myself to face the sounds. About 20 minutes had passed since I heard this rustling, when I saw a dark patch of fur through the bushes at about 40 yards. It was just a patch of color, no indication of what bore it, just a fleeting patch of dark brown or black. My first thought was that of a bear, and it was too close for comfort. So I sat and watched, and then it happened. A significant figure emerged for maybe five seconds, stepping out of and then back into this brush long enough to see and identify what I was looking at, and it was a Bigfoot. It was noticeably larger than any human being by a long shot, in height and bodily dimensions, easily surpassing the most enormous human I had ever seen. This beast looked like a miniature King Kong, and I damn near crapped in my pants knowing this thing was even in the woods with me miles away from the safety of my vehicle. I was starting to panic, that much is for sure, and yet I waited for what seemed like an eternity, after which I moved, knowing it was that or I got caught in the woods in the dark. Nothing else occurred on the outbound hike, and believe me when I tell you I was on guard the entire time and my senses were heightened to the highest level one could imagine. The creature was most definitely upright, on two legs, having parted the bushes with its right arm stepping into the open, taking two steps, then parting the bushes again with both arms, after which it was gone. I have no idea what this maneuver was about. I'm only reporting what I saw to you. It was easily seven feet tall and twice the width of a broad human, wholly covered from what I saw head to toe 
with a thick covering of dense fur. I saw relatively nothing of the face except for some hints of black coloration. It happened so quickly that I wish I could say more, but that was it. I stopped completely after that day, going into many of the park areas, being so unsettled by what I had seen. The creature simply exuded power, the apparent king of its domain in every sense of the word. There you have it, Kevin. Wow. What a great series of accounts. A couple of howls, a bark. That's a weird thing, this barking. Like, oh, you know. And how loud he said it was. Yeah. We haven't really heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have some accounts where people said, uh, said they heard something that sounded like a large dog warming up. You know how like a dog kind of before they're ready to bark? Yeah. Weird, weird things like that, you know, that are out of place, you know. Yeah, I've been there too. Rocky Mountain National Park is beautiful and definitely uh, pretty rustic for being, you know, right up in the mountains outside of Denver. Yeah, well, you know, look, everything's interconnected, right? Yeah. I mean, I could walk from here into the Pine Barrens. You know, I mean, so we go from a neighborhood into the trees. Yeah. You know, and then from there, you could go for miles and miles and miles in a number of different directions, maybe cross the street here or there, but. You could get lost for quite a while, you know? Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, so Rocky Mountain National Park, you know, okay, so you're near Denver, and then you have the park, and you got freaking millions of acres of, you know, uh, woodland and mountainous terrain and water. and I mean, geez, you know. It's not a stretch, right? How A bear wanders into a community and goes dumpster diving, you know? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. What were you talking about a couple of weeks back about that? Uh, I don't know if it was you or somebody I was talking to. They had a tagged bear, and it turned out this bear was coming right into this little town and resting in a small patch of woods in the middle of town almost no. on a daily basis. No, that wasn't me, but I, I've probably shared here, I'll share it again, the story when I lived in Spokane like 25 years ago, Spokane, Washington where one time a huge grizzly bear showed up on the steps of the opera house in downtown Spokane sleeping. And the only theory they could come up with was that he, he like fell into the river, which ran through Spokane, you know, in like northern Idaho or Montana, um, and, uh, you know, grabbed onto a log or something and floated down and then got out of the water right in downtown Spokane and fell asleep on the opera house steps. He was just shot. Yeah, it was like Sunday morning, and somebody walking, going for a walk early in the morning, they see what looks like a grizzly bear laying on the steps of the opera house, and they're like, that can't be, but it was. <laughs> Crazy, yeah? Yeah. Well, time and chance happens to everyone, you know? 100%. Yeah. And when but you, you got to be there, and you got to be not looking at your phone. That's right. You know, the guy could have easily or the woman could have easily walked down the street and never noticed or took a second thought about what was on the steps of the opera Absolutely. house. Absolutely. And uh, that's that's the way it is, right? I mean, when I'm fishing, my eyes are moving. I'm looking at the water's surface. I'm looking for anything to break that surface. Achilles, 
something in the water, a flash, a ripple. Bird activity, whatever. Anything. Anything to clue me into movement, bait, fish, something, you know. And if you're not looking, you're not seeing anything. No. Uh, Because these things happen so quickly and incidentally that if you're not paying attention, you could just blow it off or not see it at all, you know. 100%. But uh, interesting how this guy sees this creature stepping out. Five seconds, he said. He sees a flash of fur. He sees an arm part the bushes. It takes two steps out, turns around two steps, spreads it with his arms, steps back into the bushes, encounter over. Yeah. You know, what was this thing doing? He says, I have no idea. You know, can't ask him a question, but stepped out, stepped back in. Yeah. Crazy. So, uh, and by the way, folks, if you've seen something, say something. You go to BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, hit our contact button. And uh, I'm amazed continually, Kev, at how many people contact us and I reach out to them and I never hear from them again. Yeah. It's kind of puzzling, you know. I mean, I want to speak to the people. I want to know. But then they, like back out, you know, like, ah, eh, forget about it, you know. Yep. And uh, I do want to hear from you. Kevin wants to hear from you. So uh, please, uh, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, hit the contact button. Tell us what you've seen or heard or what you think about the show or uh, how much you like or dislike us. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it, Kev. How about I'll listen to Mel? Yeah, speaking of contact us. If you want to contact us, go to our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Hit the contact us, send us an email, and uh, we'll either answer you or uh, maybe even read it, read your email out loud on uh, on our podcast. So here goes. I don't know if you saw this one, Bill, but a gentleman named Michael G. sent in a clip from Facebook. And he says, hey, guys, saw this clip. Thought I would send it your way. Merry Christmas. And it's this... Pretty interesting clip. There's nothing else around it where it's like, uh, uh, looks like a uh, wild boar that's cut right in half on like a muddy trail. And then these huge bear footprints, uh, much bigger than uh, uh, whoever was filming it, Michael G. or somebody else, uh, are alongside next to this boar that's like severed in half. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you see that video? Yeah, it's an interesting video. And uh, who knows? You know, after that uh, encounter I told you about, uh, I'm not even sure if I told you from my buddy Neil down in Georgia of the uh, guy seeing that hog getting his head ripped off. I mean, nothing surprises me. Right. I mean, ripping a head off. It's just like, What? Yeah, and these footprints were, you know, super clear. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if they were real or not, but they were. It was super clear that they were footprints. Yeah, like not not uh, like a bear footprint that was distorted from snow melting or something like that. These were, you know, like human footprints, only like twice as big. Yeah, and you know, I I never want to be the person that says, "Well, if I didn't see it, I don't believe it." You know. Right. Uh, and I'm not going down that road. Uh, I wish I had 100% locked up proof 
of everything that I hear and see. Uh, but we all know that's not going to happen. Right. And so we're kind of on the outside looking in at a lot of this saying, you know, what if? Just like we were just talking about these dimensions, what if? Uh, we can think about it. We can entertain it. Uh, but in the end, you know, if you ask a dozen people what they think about it, you're going to get a dozen different answers. One hundred percent. Yeah. But pretty, pretty interesting video. And thanks for sending it in, uh, Michael. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. All right. And we're going to change gears a little bit. We're going to go to our field reporter, uh, one of our best field reporters, Rick from Ohio. And um, this one is not a cryptids in the news uh, type of thing, or, but but it's you know Rick knows that we're aviation buffs, especially military history aviation buffs, and he writes in uh, to tell us this story, which I had never heard of before. So I'm going to cover it pretty quickly, but it's pretty interesting, and if folks want to know more about it, uh, definitely Google it and you'll see it. But basically, he wrote in to say that an Air Force legend. Bob Pardo died at age 89. And Bob was a Texas fighter pilot, and he's remembered for the most famous aerial maneuver ever attempted, which that's where you got me. Um, I was like, okay, what is the most famous aerial maneuver ever attempted? And it's called Pardo's Push, which I never heard of before. And he saved his wingman using this Pardo's Push during the Vietnam War. And basically what happened was they were flying over Vietnam, where they shouldn't have been, right? And they both got hit by uh, surface-to-air missiles or flak or something else. And um, his wingman uh, was losing fuel like crazy, you know, and basically knew he wasn't going to make it over to uh, a non-hostile territory before he bailed out. So they were talking to one another, and what Pardo uh, tried to do and successfully did was he told his wingman to put his tail hook down, right, because these are F-4 Phantoms. I may not have mentioned that, but they were flying F-4 Phantoms, which are um, naval aircraft. Mm -hmm. And he put his tail hook down, and then Pardo put the tail hook, if you could imagine, he's following this jet up against the the vertical bulletproof part of his uh, windscreen and was pushing the jet along by putting the tail hook against the windscreen. Windscreen. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it would. he did hit turbulence and it would pop off and he would line it up again. And basically they made it all the way back near their ship. Now they ended up losing both planes, but... Um, they both survived, you know, and could bail out where they could get rescued. And then it was also interesting, you know, this gentleman, uh, Pardo, he got in trouble for it because he didn't save his aircraft. Right? <laughs> Come on. Which, no, yeah, he was yeah. reprimanded. Uh -huh. But get this, then long after the event, right, this is during the Vietnam War, in 1989, the military reexamined the case and awarded both Pardo and Wayne, who was his wingman, the silver star for this maneuver, yeah. even though it was two decades after it actually happened. Yeah, amazing, right? Super cool, right? Yeah. Didn't save the plane. Come on, man. Well, you know. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know. There's good and bad with uh, military discipline. <laughs> <laughs> but, Rick, thanks for sharing. And uh, it's super cool. I read about it. There's pictures about it and stuff. So, folks, if you want to 
no more. Pardo's push. Check it out. Yeah, and he probably saved that guy's bacon that day, no doubt about it. Yeah, well, definitely. And uh, so our last email, Bill, comes in, and I'm going to tap into your uh, biblical expertise on this one, uh, from Christopher. And actually, the subject is St. Christopher. And the message is short and sweet. He says, have you looked up the images and story that St. Christopher was actually a dog-headed being and then changed into a man? What do you think? And I went, and I hadn't heard about this, Bill, but I googled images of St. Christopher, and some of the images, you know, ancient images, are shown uh, like a human standing there with the head of a dog. Yeah, you know something, Kev? I don't go down that road. Okay. You know, it's just the way I am. Uh, I, I stick to truth and what I know to be truth, and... Uh, Anything else beyond that is non-essential. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just the way I am. There were so many things out there that would cloud or interfere or cast aspersions uh, that you really have to be steadfast with your eyes and your face set like flint uh, towards the future that I do not tend to look to the left hand or to the right uh, too frequently uh, at what may be distractions. You know what I mean? Unless there's a Bigfoot coming down You the bet path. your buns, man. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. I'm not saying I'm not looking, but I'm not dwelling on. Right. There's a difference, you know. When you start to allow your focus to be skewed or strayed. This is when errors start to happen, you know. So said another way, you're saying bogus. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And especially, Kevin, this day and age where all of these things, we don't know the origins of what he was looking at, who drew it, who painted it, where it came from. You know, there's so much stuff out there. And uh, a lot of it is just pure hogwash, as you and I know. Right. Uh, but it doesn't stop people from promoting it or continuing the uh, the trend of creating more of it. You know, look at all of the oh, yeah. Bigfoot hogwash out there. No, I know. That's the most challenging thing with uh, Bigfoot and covering uh, Bigfoot is that, you know, so much of it is hoaxes and nonsense. Yeah. So uh, that's why the... The eyewitness account, devoid of anything other than the spoken word, uh, to me is the best advantage is given with that type of testimonial, right? But uh, we do like video and photographs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, if and when they're available, we will examine them and uh, give you our two cents on what we think of them. But... Uh, you know, you just can't uh, avoid the heartfelt testimonial given from somebody, you know. Uh, and then, you know, what are you going to do? You're just going to call everybody an, a liar? Right. <laughs> I don't know. Or a good storyteller. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was interesting, Kev. Really very cool. Yeah, that's it this week, Bill. Fantastic, man. And we hope you all had a very nice uh, Christmas 
Happy New Year. You know, uh, hopefully we're into a mild winter. And uh, before you know, we'll be seeing the crocuses and the tulips uh, breaking through the soil and the buds coming out in the trees. <laughs> and by the way, folks, if you should find yourself prowling around Rocky Mountain uh, National Park or anywhere else for that matter, you best remember just one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.